0: All right, this morning I will uh, be continuing the series that I started last year in the Minor Prophets. A little obscure 12 books in the back of the Old Testament. Uh, and they're minor not because they're unimportant, but because they're small. And today we're going to look at the smallest of them all, Obadiah. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles, if, uh, if you can, to find Obadiah. He's only 21 verses, so it may be challenging. If, uh, if you're using the Red Pew Bible in front of you, the ESV, it's page 772. The rest of you are on your own. And, and while you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What, what is the world's longest-running conflict? Who, is, who has been at war the longest? Is it some, probably somewhere in the Middle East maybe, something like that, or somewhere in the Far East? Israel and well, not quite Israel and Eden, but hey, that's a good guess since that's what we're talking about today. But um, it actually goes back even further than that. If you look at Genesis 3.15, but now that you found your way at Obadiah, you know, I don't want you to lose that place. So uh, in Genesis 3.15, what's just happened is the fall, right? The serpent has deceived... Eve and Adam, and they have done that which God forbid, and they have broken the world. And so now God is uttering his curses, the consequences for that rebellion. And when God talks to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he says this, I will put enmity, strife, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's about a whole lot more than just man and snakes not getting along, right? There's more going on there. What God is actually saying is that that for the rest of the Bible, what you see playing out in the rest of the Bible, on one hand you have the seed of the woman, right? And these are the people, we learn, uh, that belong to God. They are God's people, Right? And on the other hand, at war with them, you have the seed of the serpent. They are the people opposed to God, just like the serpent is opposed to God, right? And we find out in Revelation that the serpent is Satan himself. And his band of people are against the seed of the woman. They are against God's people. And their hostility has raged from the very beginning, from the fall, until now, right? Right? that is the world's longest running conflict, and the reason I mention that is because you see, you get a window into that here in the book of Obadiah, right? We're about to, to read, and as we read, we'll, I'll, we'll, I'll make comments and we'll apply as we go, but here's what's happening in Obadiah. It's 586 BC, or actually shortly thereafter. Israel has been sent into exile for her unbelief, so God's people have been destroyed and scattered. Okay, and Edom, their neighbor to the east, saw, saw their opportunity and swooped in, right? Much like a, a vulture waits on a lion to bring down the prey, uh, Edom waited on Babylon to finish Israel up, or at least to, to attack Israel, and then Edom swoops in, and they take opportunity. Uh, they take their shot at Israel as well, a shot they've been wanting to take for a long time. And so we come to Obadiah. And this is the first prophet we've studied who actually speaks against an enemy nation. The prophets we've looked at up till now have spoken against Israel for their unbelief. And they've explained why Israel's gone into the exile. But now Obadiah, God gives him a vision and he sets his face against Edom. And so let me pray and then we will dive in. Father, now as we... Turn our attention to this little corner of your word. I pray, we pray, that you would give that supernatural sight we need to understand it. Uh, That as we go back centuries and listen to words that may not make much sense to us, God, would you help them to make sense? Would you even pierce our hearts? Speak to us from Obadiah. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you, if you come away with nothing else, here's, when we reach the end of Obadiah, here's what I want you to know, that even though God's enemies triumph now, right, and I think we can all uh, attest maybe to this, to this reality, that it often seems like bad people get away, right? That those who are opposed to God look like they're winning. What Obadiah tells us is that even though God's enemies triumph now, the Lord will ultimately bring down his enemies and restore his kingdom. Let's see how Obadiah tells us that, starting in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle so here's God calling all the other nations to battle. Just as he called Babylon and Assyria to battle against his own people, now he calls these other nations to take down Obadiah. And right there we learn this, that God is the God not just of Israel, but of the whole world. Whether they listen to him or not, all the nations are in God's hands. And he is the one who raises up kingdoms and he is the one who brings them down. And here's what he says in verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there... I will bring you down," declares the Lord. Right. So what we see is that it's Edom's pride that causes his fall. Right. Edom uh, existed. Right. This nation was a very small one, but it lived in the mountains, and so they had these impregnable fortresses built into the sides of the mountains. And you can tell, right, that they're they're up there, gloating. They're up there looking down on their enemies, saying. We're secure, we're invincible. Who can touch us? Who's going to bring us down? And God says, "I am." Right, um, and that's really and that's really what that's really what pride does. Right, that's what that's really the sin of pride that we we begin to think much of ourselves, we begin to think much of our security, and so Edom, rather than being humbled by what they saw happening to Israel. They were proud. But God says this, verse 5, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged. His treasures sought out. All right? So if, if a thief comes... He's only going to take away what he can carry, right? Thieves only steal what they can get away with. Grape harvesters, they will leave some crop behind in the field. They're going to leave gleanings. But God says, that's not what's going to happen when I come. When I come, I'm taking everything, right? You will be thoroughly destroyed. You will be completely pillaged. Nothing will be left Behind. Verse 7: All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Esau was proud of their security, and they were proud of their allies, right? But their allies tricked them, they didn't even see it coming. Those that they broke bread with, those that they made covenant with, deceive them. Let's keep going. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Esau was proud of their wisdom and they were proud of their strength. And yet none of these things will save you if you are opposed to the God of the universe. And that's exactly what happens. God comes against Esau and everyone is cut off by slaughter. Why? Obadiah tells us in verse 10, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. All right, so you've heard two names come up already. You've heard Edom, right, and that's the nation. But you also heard Esau and Jacob. See, what's going on here is really the tale of two brothers, two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And they were the sons of Isaac. And if you want their story, you go back to Genesis 25, okay? Now, here's what God says about Jacob and Esau when they're born. Uh, Even though they were twins, Esau was going to be born first. And so naturally, he would be the one who receives the blessing. And yet God says this to his parents. He says, no, 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 the older will serve the younger. Jacob receives the promise. Jacob receives the blessing. It will be through Jacob that the 12 tribes of Israel are born, that Israel becomes a nation, right? God says that the that one will be stronger than the other. See, Esau, as they grow up, Jacob and Esau are at war with each other. They are hostile to one another and as they become nations that continues Esau moves into the mountains and becomes Edom Jacob eventually settles in the promised land but they're always at, they're always at odds with each other Jacob is always the stronger until now until all of his defenses have been taken away until all of his strength has been carried away and now Esau sees his chance right Esau sees his chance to share uh, to take advantage of Jacob's Pain. John Piper says this, Nations, adults, and little children have this in, com- in common. Apart from the grace of God, we all tend to derive pleasure from another person's failure. Isn't that right? When I see this play out in my home with my toddlers. Right? One loves to gloat over the other. Right? When they're Okay, so our kids run to the window when ambulances drive by. They, just, they like to see the ambulances. They like the lights and all the sound. Um, one who shall remain nameless, if, if another misses the opportunity to see the ambulance, the older one will say, you missed it, right? Now, that's a, that's a light example, but you all know this to be true, right? We love to gloat over the misfortunes of another. It makes us feel better. It diminishes our failures and makes our successes look better. And so we know what Edom felt, right? We can resonate. Here's what Edom does to Israel. Verse 11. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat. in the day of distress. So there the people of Edom were, right? Israel is attacked. Her defenses are gone. She's being looted and pillaged, and Edom just joins in, right? It's not enough that she gloats and she boasts now that her enemy is weak, but she actually participates in the pillaging. She's taking the treasures, right? Whatever Babylon leaves behind, Edom is taking out. And worse than that, she's, she's catching the refugees, right? The, these people who have escaped the slaughter and are trying to get away from the disaster, Edom cuts them off at the crossroads and hands them over to Babylon. That's their sin. That's what their pride has caused them to do. And for that very reason, Edom will be brought down. So we know that Israel got what they deserved. The the other prophets that we've looked at have told us that much, that for their unbelief, Israel got what they deserved. God had been warning them for centuries. God had been telling them for centuries that if you don't return, I will cast you out of the land. And so that happened. So why, if that was right for God to do, why then does it matter that Edom comes in and takes what's left? That poses. That, I think that poses us with an interesting question. Um, and I think the way to answer that, we have to ask, is It is it right, even when somebody is getting what they deserve, even when someone is facing the consequences of their sin, is it right to gloat over them? Is it right to put yourself in a position of superiority over them? Yes, Israel got what they deserved. And oftentimes, so do we. But we are not called to gloat over other people when they fall. We are not called to gloat over other people when they fail and to even assist in those who are making it worse. In fact, if we're talking now for the New Testament, for the believer, we're not called to, to shun and gloat over the people who fall. We're called to help, right? To come alongside those who have fallen and lift them up. And share with them again the good news of forgiveness.
1: So we can be certain that if
0: God won't let Israel get away with her sins, then he won't let Edom get away with his. In fact, let's keep reading verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. What's going on here is it's an image common in the prophets. He talks, he's talking about drinking and drunkenness, right? So if you get the picture, as soon as Israel is defeated, Edom rushes onto Mount Zion where Jerusalem is. They rush into the city, and they're celebrating. They're celebrating the defeat of their hated brother. And God says, just as you're drinking right now in celebration, so you will drink. And you will drink some more. And you will drink more. But it will not be the wine of celebration. It will be the cup of my wrath. In fact, and this is where Obadiah and all the prophets, really, when they have a vision of the day of the Lord, they see something close at hand, but they see something in the distance too. They see the last and final day when all of God's enemies will drink the cup of his wrath. And that's the way the prophets talk about it, right? That they will, they will drink it down to the dregs, that God has this cup of wrath flowing over, and all of his enemies will, ha- will be forced to drink it. And just as though drinking may, br- may be for celebration, drunkenness always brings destruction. So when the nations are drunk on the cup of God's wrath, that will mean their destruction. There is coming a day when God's enemies will be ultimately destroyed. Does that, does that make you uncomfortable? Um, right, that, I mean, that's kind of an offensive thought to us, especially now. When we feel like, no, you know, that's, that's a little harsh, that's a little overbearing. And maybe one of the ways we can try to, to get out from underneath that difficult question of why God is speaking so judgmentally is we say, well, that's Old Testament. And now we have the New Testament. So let's address, address that objection first. There is a unity between the, between the two Testaments. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the, the authors of the New Testament understood that they were following the God of the Old Testament. So they are one and the same. Even Jesus himself in Matthew 10, right, he says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And what he's saying is, right, that, that he is going to divide people. He is going to divide even families between those who follow him and those who do not follow him, right? That allegiance matters. And so there is no, there is no such thing as two Testaments, two different gods. They are the same God, uh, and Jesus is the revelation of that God. And you cannot read the New Testament uh, and not see God bringing judgment, reading the book of Revelation, but even earlier than that. So what do we do then with this offensive thought that... Uh, That God punishes the wicked. What do we do with harsh words of judgment? Consider it from this perspective. Even if you you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you love justice. You want justice. Almost everyone on the planet wants justice. right? Maybe the exception of a few right so much so that we even have concepts like karma right you get what you deserve what goes around comes around right we've said we we say all that well if that's true if we want justice that's built in if we if we have this idea that what someone that, that evil cannot go unpunished that's what's going on here in fact the good news is the Bible doesn't give us an impersonal force like karma or fate that just kind of brings around what we deserve. What we actually have in the Bible is a personal, good, and just God who sees everything and who knows everything. He judges impartially. And here's the even better news than that. He gives mercy to those who seek it. Right? James 4, 7, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what we see in Obadiah really isn't all that offensive. What we see in Obadiah is God being God. God saying to those proud enemies who opposed him and who hurt his people, he says to, he says to them, I will bring you down and you will be no more. Have you ever met an Edomite, a person from Edom? Have you ever met a Philistine? No. If you were to go to Edom today, fly right now over there, do you know what you'd find? Ruins. Impressive rock cities with nobody in them. God, is, God keeps his promises. But I, have, I bet you have met a Jew. I bet you have met a descendant of Israel. So don't let this, it should unsettle us, but don't let it be offensive. What we see here in Obadiah is God meting out his justice. Right? And, if, and, and to be honest, you want a God who does that. Right? The, the all-inclusive granddaddy in the skies who kind of winks at sin over here and winks at sin over there, you don't want that. At least you don't want it when you've been hurt, when you've been wronged, when those who are, who are powerful have taken advantage of you. No, you want justice. And, God, and what God says through Obadiah is even though it looks like justice won't be done, even though it looks like the evil people are going to win, there is coming a day when things will be made right and when the evil will get exactly what's coming to them. But what about the people of God? What's in store for those who love God? Verse 17. In Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. And I want you to hear that word, possess, because you're going to continually hear it. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph aflame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephi. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. All right, so now Obadiah turns his attention to the people of God, and he says, God is going to make things right. He is going to keep his promises. Those who love him will be victorious, right? So when he says, the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions, remember that everything they had was taken from them, right? These people came in and they took it all away, and God says, you're going to take it all back. And all that stuff about the Negev and the land of the Philistines and the land of Ephraim, that's God saying, all of this territory, this birthright, this promised land that I promised to Abraham way back when, that's been taken away from you, you're going to take it back. It'll be yours again. and It'll be bigger. It'll be more. So that's what Obadiah sees. Obadiah sees these people coming back and claiming their birthright, claiming this land claiming their possessions away from their enemies. And here's what the New Testament tells us. Obadiah's, Obadiah's vision is so much bigger. It's not just this little strip of land in the Middle East we call Palestine. No the people of God will inherit the whole world. Romans 4. And it's not just and it's not just Israelites, it's not just Jews who believe in Jesus. But now Gentiles, you and me, are added to the family. We get to inherit the kingdom promised to Abraham if we share in the faith of Abraham, Galatians 3. So we are a part of the people of God, not by works, but by faith. And by faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ, right? And so... What we've seen in Obadiah is that those who exalt themselves, even though it looks like they're winning, they will be brought down. And those who are humbled, and that's a good question, who is it then that gets to come home? If Israel is cast out for her unbelief and Obadiah and Edom is brought down because of their pride, then who are these people? Who are the escapees? Who are the people who are rescued who get to come back to Mount Zion? It's the humbled. right? Those who have seen their sin and have returned to the Lord for His mercy. They inherit the kingdom. Those who were conquered, Romans 8, become the conquerors because they belong to Jesus. Alright, so what... What do we learn from Obadiah as we wrap up? First, and we already said this, that God is God over all, Asian, over all nations, not just Israel. And it bears saying that uh, the United States, like all the other civilizations before it, will not last forever. The kingdom of God will last forever. And so let's say that, that our hope is not in our security. It is not in our military power. It is not in our wisdom. It is not in our allies. Because just like they failed Edom, they will fail us. Our hope is in the Lord. His kingdom lasts forever. And so we ought to be careful of pride because it can just as easily deceive us as it did Edom. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But here we sit at the dawn of 2015... What is Obadiah telling us for this new year, for the life ahead? Our hope is not in that the world will recognize you, Christian. Not that the world will make you feel good about your confession. Not that all of a sudden we're going to win back the culture. That is not our hope. Those things may happen, but that is not our hope. In fact, more often than not, you may feel like a loser. And you may look like a fool. No doubt Obadiah and his friends looked like losers and they looked like fools. Our hope, our hope is in that the kingdom is the Lord's. Don't look at your circumstances to gauge your success. Right? Because things look bad now. But a better day is coming. Because a Savior, one who rescues, one appointed by God to save his people, has gone up Mount Zion. Right? Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion. A Savior has gone up to Mount Zion. He did walk up that hill. And he did take that cross. The King has come. We just celebrated that. The King has come and he has conquered death by death. And he sits in heaven. And his kingdom is growing. And the gates of hell are not prevailing against it. It is growing. It is filling the earth. And it stretches far beyond Jerusalem and far beyond Israel into every corner of the globe. The kingdom is growing. And it continues to grow. And the king will come again one day. And when he does... The shout from heaven will be, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Be patient. Victory is certain. It's not just a tale of two brothers. It's a tale of two kingdoms. Which kingdom are you a part of? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Obadiah. Thank you for your message through him. And I pray that we would derive much hope from it. And that we would learn not to take take our security from our strength or from our smarts or from our position. But from our God. Who has defeated all of his enemies and has triumphed over them and given us the victory so that we become more than conquerors? Lord, for those who have not placed their trust in you, for those who have not come to the victorious King, I pray that they would be humbled, that they would seek your mercy. And they would be welcomed at the feast. We pray it in Jesus' name.